Bienvenidos and welcome to episode 39 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, not joined, as always, by Milwaukee's best, Jonah Birch. Jonah, unfortunately, has caught a vicious case of end-of-semester grading and will not be available until next week. So if you are pining for your hit of Birch, don't worry. In a week, we will do our yearly finale, and Jonah will be back then as his usual soft and cuddly self. Um, but for this week, it's just me, thankfully joined by a couple of guests, and I will introduce these guests to you. One is a friend of the pod, having appeared here before. You can read his work at Basketball News. There's basketballnews.com. There is no A in that basketball, so just it's basketballnews.com. Also, Premium Hoops NBA, Fear the Sword, Indie Cornrows, and more. She is a digital host at the Parlay. I'm hoping that I am pronouncing Parlay correctly. Um, and has covered the NBA, the WNBA, tennis, and more. Welcome to the Jacobin Sports Show, Mark Schindler and Karina Mustafa. How are you both doing? I'm pretty good. I actually remember Parlay most of the time because of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I think it's, I can't remember the uh, like evil pirate's name. Uh, I'm like, I'm really bad at butchering analogies on pods, as I'm sure you remember because we've potted multiple times, Matthew. But um, yeah, there's like a, the, this like really drawn out sentence where he says parlay over and over again. So that's how I remember it. <laughs> Interesting. You know, other than, you know, the regular betting word parlay. <laughs> but we're starting off strong with the analogies yeah. already. Um, mm-hmm. As you guys can probably hear, I'm a little bit under the weather, weather but I have the perfect podcast voice. Mm-hmm. Even even Karina's mistakes are perfect. Everything works out. This pod <laughs> is going this pod is going to be legendary from the start. Um, so I wanted to start having a conversation because both of you are um, writers and content creators, but I think you're also at root fans, uh, fans of basketball, fans of sports in general. And I'm very curious as more, a few more of the industry of those who cover sports is made up of people like you, people who are hybrids of, they have a great love for the game and they also um, have a great love for their craft and, and for trying to make their way through the industry, as opposed to the old model of like, you go to school for journalism and you learn how to write a certain type of column and then you go in. And I'm especially interested because I feel like with social media and with specifically NBA Twitter, which is what I want to focus on today, that there's more of a blurred line between these different kinds of identities. And I'm wondering your feelings on some of the traditional beliefs and, and standards that people have felt about what a journalist is supposed to be versus a fan. Um, because I feel like fans are more informed than ever before, and fandom itself is a different proposition than it used to be, and I think covering the game is as well. So I want to start just by asking you both for a, a quick little primer on your background as sports fans, um, particularly as a, regarding the sports that you're involved in covering now. So Mark, why don't we start with you? Your history, particularly with the NBA, as far as I know, that's what you cover the most. Yeah. How did you get into basketball in general? What was your what was your your journey? Yeah, um, I was really late to basketball. Um, it had kind of always been on in the background of my life, but I'd never really tuned into it. Obviously, I grew up just outside Cleveland uh, as a kid, and I mean, somebody who's early twenties right now. That means I had LeBron James there pretty much my entire life. So um, I saw him in person multiple times. Um, but I don't think I ever really appreciated who LeBron James was until I 
went from being a casual fan to, to really being invested in the NBA and understanding it. And I, a lot of times I kind of wish I could go back and be like, okay, you know, this matters a lot more. Like I, I went to multiple games during the, uh, like the 2007 season where they ended up going to the finals for the first time within there. Um, and, you know, it's the kind of stuff like, or not, no, it wasn't 2007. It was 2009. I can't remember. Regardless, whatever season that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Seven was the yeah. finals. I was a young kid. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, so that was more like in the background for me. And then I guess I would have considered myself a Cavs fan growing up. And then, you know, I got to later on in high school um, is when I started getting way more into basketball. Like, you know, you play 2K and you're like, oh, hey, this is actually pretty fun. I never really played basketball growing up, but I just kind of got into it. I started watching in the playoffs when in 13, 14, when the Pacers and Heat played in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I just kind of fell in love with that Pacers team not even as a fan, really, just more as like getting to watch basketball. Cause I think, you know, I'd always heard about how basketball is like, you know, this and that, and all the complaints that you hear from older generations about how the games, you know, there's no defense. I'm like, well, this is, this is defense. Like, this is awesome. I, I didn't really understand the game, but you could watch it and see like, Oh wow. Like this is really cool. And so I think just kind of casually from there, I was a Pacers fan for, for a couple of years and then I, I mean, I, we've talked about this before off pod, but I was working on my own uh, sports career that kind of fell by the wayside. And I had to take a year and a half off from doing like anything just to get right physically and mentally. So that ended up being me watching a lot of league pass on my couch every night because that's kind of what I was allowed to do. And I just fell in love with the game of basketball. Like, I wouldn't really consider myself a fan of any team other than, unfortunately, the Georgetown Hoyas. That's been a lifelong affliction. <laughs> um, but, hey, six and four, so that's something. Uh, there you go. But, yeah, I just – I think especially where I come across in writing and everything is is being a fan of the game and um, just hoping that, that we can treat players with some of the same respects that I kind of – not to make it about me, but I think a lot of what drives me to cover guys in, in the right ways, you know, some of the struggles that I went through in, in my short athletic career before I even got to close to what they did. How about you, Karina? Yeah, so I think I went to my first Raptors game 2011, I want to say. Uh, my dad took me for the first time. And then after that, like, I just fell in love with the atmosphere at a basketball game and it became like a yearly thing that we would do. And then I just started rat watching the Raptors more on TV. And then I just like fell in love with basketball. I, I really, really loved it. And I would watch like the reporters on TV and be like, oh my God, I want to be them. Um, I would look at like Kate Burness, like, I want to be Kate Burness. Mm -hmm. And then I found a sport media program in university and that's kind of really when I decided that I wanted to go into the industry so like even though I was a fan for what, what is it like a decade now it wasn't really until like two years ago where I was like okay I actually want to dive into this and I think that you know my passion for the Raptors like I have an emotional attachment to them regardless of whether I want it or not um <laughs> just to have, like the way that I grew up and so I think that that really just turned into a passion to working in the industry as well um and so, yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Do you feel now as someone who, who covers the game, and I'm not sure how much of your work directly covers the Raptors versus the rest of the league, do you feel ever a pressure or a need to keep your identity separate as a fan versus a person who covers the team or covers the league? Does that ever come up for you? 
I think there's definitely a line. Like you definitely have to be a little bit careful because while I think that the passion that comes with being a fan is really important when it comes to covering work, you still have to separate that at some point. Like you have to kind of get rid of that bias, I think, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you just have to evaluate your team fairly. Uh, Right now I'm not covering the Raptors. I did maybe like a year ago, but for example, like in the WNBA, I covered Mm -hmm. the Liberty this season and I'm also a Liberty fan. So that was kind of a new area for me to try to navigate. Okay. Like how do I kind of separate my fandom while also still keeping that same passion when I'm covering the team? Because Mm -hmm. I was also talking to the players in media calls and all that. And, you know, you can't be a fan when you're media availability, right? Like you have to be a journalist. You have to be there without the bias. Mark, if you're not, if you never felt really like a, a ferocious devotion to a team coming up, I wonder, do you ever feel like you have an advantage over other people? Because what I mean by that is like, you, you don't ever have to, to run this question of like, are your allegiances mixed? Are you, is, is the personal potentially intersecting with the professional? Like, are you glad in retrospect that you didn't grow up like a 20 year pacer diehard now that you write about the team, do you think that gives you any kind of a, a perspective that others may lack, or do you feel like it's just different strokes for different folks? Um, I think I'll go with the latter. And in some ways it, it does help me, but I still think I have to curb things because I definitely am fans of certain players, um, like especially just in watching them. Like, I, I mean, as I think you're both aware, I'm a pretty positive tweeter on the timeline about, about players and, and trying to be upbeat sometimes to a fault. And I think that's something I really have to curb sometimes, especially when talking about the draft and looking at, at, at college prospects, because I do think um, that's one of the, like, I'm good at, at curbing with that, but I, I, I do think there is definitely a, a general tendency to, you know, have your, your favorites in some ways in that, that sphere. And it's definitely, you know, especially once you are getting to different levels of it, that can be kind of unfair uh, in some ways and, you know, given your platform and, um, how you can be boosting some people up again, that's not trying to make it sound like I'm some, some big person, but you know, the way that you talk about somebody or, or, or highlight them could definitely impact things in some ways, you know, and, um, like you have to be willing to, to be as equally critical of a player's faults or deficiencies or something they do wrong as you are willing to heap praise on them for things that they do. Right. Like, I, I mean, Colin Sexton is one of my favorite players in the NBA, and that is a very uh, um, heated point in, in in one of my group chats. And, um, you know, among a lot of people who look at the game analytically, and I definitely look at the game analytically, but just in, you know, I watched Colin play three on five and almost beat a team in college. And watching that kind of stuff and just seeing, like, knowing who he is as a person, the way that he handles himself off the court and, his work ethic like it sounds very buzzwordy but like when you read about Colin and like watch him like you get it um mm-hmm. I think that's like you know that's the stuff that I look at and it does make me become a fan of, of a guy but again like like you mentioned um being able to take that and be like you okay well he's not a superstar he's still you know he's a good player but he's not like the player that you necessarily want him to be in some ways or build him up in your head if that makes sense mm-hmm. you just raised a point that I want to ask um Karina about which is you know, if you've had experience covering the Raptors and you've had experience with the Liberty, you know that, you know, when you're covering a team, one thing that you have to keep in mind the whole time is your audience. Are you, which publication are you writing for? Are those fans narrative driven? Are they analytically driven? And I know myself covering mostly the Knicks, but sometimes the NBA at large, that 
there are times where I don't enjoy how far the writer has to go following certain points or investigating certain storylines. And I do it because I feel a pressure that like it's something the readers are talking about or the readers are looking for, but it feels sometimes like it deprives me of the joy that I would have as a fan. And that's a choice that I make. Like if I'm going to write about it, I don't get to be a fan. I'm there to produce for other people, but I'm curious, Karina, um, in particular with the Liberty, maybe last season, if you find whether it's studying analytics or studying more X's and O's, just studying the game in a way that you as a casual fan at home would not, do you ever feel like that gets in the way of your just pure positive fandom experience or no? It's an interesting question. I think that, you know, with all my Liberty articles that I wrote last season, they're all a different mix of all of that kind of stuff. Like I have analytic stuff, I have narrative stuff. It was tricky because they started out really well and then the season kind of went a little bit wonky. Um, And so for me, it's just kind of, I'm very active on Twitter. So I'm seeing what everybody's saying. And I think with the WNBA in particular, a lot of people aren't familiar with the league. They aren't familiar with players. So most of the time I tried to like, just kind of focus on that, just kind of getting people more attuned to like who these players are. But then also after doing that, just diving into like more nerdy stuff as well. I, I don't know if I would say like, it's like holding me back. Just, I like, I really like just kind of seeing what people like, what they like to consume. And so that kind of motivates me in itself. Like what is going to reach the most amount of people? Mark, I'm curious about that also with you. Um, When I am on, basketball reference like at three in the morning after I've written a recap and yet I can't go to bed because I'm reading like Greg Anthony game logs from 1995 like some kind of a sicko and really enjoying it I think of you and I imagine that you're probably somewhere doing the same thing and I'm curious again in light of you not having necessarily one team like I know you write for teams so maybe maybe that's a good place to start with you is there ever a a tension for you or a challenge to write for an audience that you understand is probably more maniacal or just literally fanatical about what they're following than you. Do you ever feel like, boy, I don't, do you ever feel that your sensibilities and the typical fan sensibilities or reader sensibilities are in conflict? For me, that happens more with podcasts, I think in a way, like I really want to, uh, be very nuanced and I, I mean I do that with writing too but I think to a different degree like when I'm writing I mean that's trying to be like there's definitely opinion thrown in there because I like to think of myself as somebody who analyzes the game and understands it well um but I normally am you know when I'm writing something it's about being true to the story and the people involved in it and trying to be honest and fair and I think when it's more about you know in, in looking at podcasts I think that's where I'm a lot more of trying to pay attention to you know, all right, well, this is what fans are saying on Twitter. So I'm going to address that, you know, I'll put that in my, my outlines or something like that. Um, or if, you know, if, and it goes both ways too. Like if I think fans are being unduly unfair about something, then I'll definitely address it and be like, Hey, I think you guys are kind of out of your depth here. But then if there are times too, where I think, you know, maybe some of the criticism is fair, I'll definitely harp on that. So I, I do think it plays a part, but I also like, I mean, to a, to a degree too, I think I need to get better at understanding my audience sometimes. Like I don't really write for anybody. I just kind of write, like I, I, I see something that's really cool and I, I want to write about it. Cause I I'm thinking about it. At, like you mentioned, I'm looking at basketball reference at three in the morning. I'm like, Hey, I, I haven't seen anybody talk about this. So I want to. Um, 
I think, you know, in some ways I do need to get better at, uh, at maybe finding stories that, um, that, that people are asking for, but I, I don't know. I, I find something enjoyable about finding the ones that people maybe aren't. So I want to ask you both about um, a couple nights ago, uh, Golden State came to New York and Steph Curry in that game set the record for most three pointers made in NBA history. And I was at a loss to remember, especially in the NBA, a record that was set that seemed to garner as much attention and goodwill as that did. I remember when Ray Allen broke Reggie Miller's record and I don't remember it. I don't remember it being quite the same thing. And I'm not old enough to remember Kareem like setting the scoring record. Have you ever seen in the NBA that kind of attention paid to like in baseball, there's like always famous numbers and you want to see, you know, the home run King or the strike or whatever, but I don't, like in, I don't think the average basketball fan can tell you how many points Kareem scored or who has the most rebounds ever or the most. It's not it's not as numbers driven, but there was such joy around what Curry did that even when the Warriors came to New York while the Knicks were struggling and, you know, it's a pretty devoted fan base. And yet from the jump, the whole arena like could not wait to cheer for this. Have you ever seen in sports? Do you have recollections of, of an event of a record being set or something that had seemingly all the fans on the same page, just as far as a positive reaction? Mark, have you seen something like that that you remember? Oh, that's a great question. Um, in terms of like just any sport, um, well, with, with basketball, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite to that level. Um, it's kind of it like, and I don't mean this to sound unfair. It was almost odd, like how much it got drummed up to a degree. And I think rightfully, like it was, it's a huge accomplishment, but, and I, it's not like, I think that there have been bigger things that could have been highlighted, but like, I don't know. It was just like, odd. like it felt like every time I turned on sports center when I was, you know, you know, playing with my daughter and getting breakfast ready in the morning, I'm, I'm hearing about Steph is, you know, he's closing in on Ray Allen. And then to me, it's like, it's a little bit painful because Ray Allen is one of my favorite players of all time. And I think he's a better shooter than he gets credit for, but you know, that's, you know, neither here nor there, but uh, no, in terms of seeing like one of the other memories, I remember when Tristan Thompson was like potentially going to miss a game when he was in, in Cleveland and it would have uh, broken his Ironman streak. And I think it ended up happening, but that was like on, on the docket, for like a small time. That's a very small thing, but I think the only time I've ever seen it in basketball has been for wins, you know, and looking at like, especially during actually, I, okay. I guess I would say the only real comparison in basketball for me has been the golden state run in uh, was it 14, 15 or 15, 16. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was 15, 16 when they won 73. Yeah. But watching like that team, like, I mean, and that was literally for me every morning. Cause I am, it's very difficult for me to stay up and watch West coast games. And I wasn't as dedicated to the league yet then. So I wasn't watching games every night, but again, every morning I'm waking up and seeing on sports center, you just see, okay, Warriors won another one. Like they're, they're going on this. And I mean, all the streaks they had during that year. Um, yeah. I think those would be the ones that pop off for me immediately. How about you, Karina? I think with like, with Steph, he's special. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just something about him where it's like, you can find very little fault with like saying something negative about him. And I think like at this point in his career, 
everybody was just rooting for him and like it probably started it didn't even probably start as like such a big thing but I think more people just got attached to the idea of him you know hitting the record and it just became like it blew up and you know you saw how much it meant to him and I think everybody kind of felt that emotional reaction as well and so it was nice to see and honestly for me like with so much negativity in basketball it was kind of refreshing like I really liked that. like I love to just like have everybody root for a guy like I saw there was this one account I can't remember who it was but every single morning they would post like Steph Curry plays tonight or what like up until <laughs> he broke the record and I think like things like that are great um I think it mm-hmm. reminds us that basketball is fun and just to enjoy it instead of just like overanalyzing every little detail and this is going wrong and all of that I think of all the dynasties I have seen in the NBA that one of the Golden State seems more likable than most. And I feel like that's because of Steph. And I don't think it's just his size. I think it's easier on some level if you're young to relate to Steph than Shaq or LeBron. But I also just think he plays with such obvious joy. Um, and for all, I may be biased, but like I don't find him to be offensive or, you know, he acts out a lot, but it always seems to me to come from a spirit of love rather than conflict or or aggression or something and I, I think that's one reason why he's remained increased actually in his popularity i'm curious along those lines um when steph broke the record i was struck not in surprise but more in affirmation because i followed the knicks now for a very long time and some things have changed especially in the fan team dynamic but one thing that's always been pretty fair of new york specifically as a market is that for all the love that there is for the Knicks there, there is just a great appreciation for performance and showmanship. Like if you come to New York and you score 60, the crowd is going to cheer for you, even if it they're going to then, you know, complain about the Knicks in the next breath. But New York likes to see a, a top kind of performance go on. And it's something that I, I like as part of the fabric of the identity of the, a New York Knicks fan. I'm curious, um, starting with you, Karina, in Toronto, like, when I look at other teams, I get most of this through Twitter. I, you know, I don't, I don't live in Toronto, so I don't know the actual vibe in the city, but I've been struck by the Raptors seem so beloved to their fans, not just in terms of like, Hey, when they were good, like a lot of teams, when they're good, the fans love them. And when they slip, maybe you don't hear so much about them, but if you never look at the standings and you just follow Raptor Twitter every day, you would think that this team has like they love the players they love like fred van vliet is like a god to people like a god and there's see hey, hey, they were trying to trade him the other night so i don't yeah, know <laughs> they were but i don't think raptor twitter was like but they really seem to love their and I'm, I'm curious as a distinction from new york the knicks last year had their first good year in forever and it has taken not even a third of a season for much of that to evaporate for any goodwill to evaporate because God forbid you not have it all figured out a third of the way. But I'm, I'm particularly struck and wonder if you can speak to any kind of Toronto or Raptor fan identity. You have this team that won a couple of years ago. And since then, that team is, they haven't gotten back. You know, they got to the, I think the second round the year after. They missed the playoffs last year. They're, I think they have a losing record so far this year. But it, there's not, there's clearly not a, a reflex against them of like, what's wrong with you? And I'm just curious if you have a sense after all these years of a way to tell people in other parts of the, the NBA world, 
what the relationship is like between the team and the community or what what kind of characteristics come with that relationship. Because as a New Yorker, it's very alien to see a fan base that seems more interested in, I don't know, I don't even know how to say it. Well, what do you find about, what do you find striking about the Toronto and the Raptor relationship? I like this question. I think the biggest distinction is that Canada has one team. And I think like that's kind of the biggest difference when it comes to the teams in the NBA is that Toronto has an entire country around it, not just the city. And I think that's developed a different kind of like love or attachment for this team, especially winning the championship in 2019. I think, you know, I will say like in terms of the entire country, that love is there in terms of Twitter. It's not always as positive. I feel like even like this season, like it took like what, four weeks for fans to stop, you know, hyping up Scotty Barnes and start going to other points of misery um, about this team. But I think overall, they just really want what's best for the team. The team is super lovable. Like mm-hmm. for the most part, they bring in players that are just super relatable. I mean, even Scotty Barnes, as I just said, you know, like Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet, you know, their journey from, you know, Fred being undrafted, their G League history as well. And then, you know, just watching them grow into the roles that they have now. So I think there is a special kind of attachment, like even in the city itself, like you'll go on the subway and there's like 10 people wearing Raptors gear and so i think i think the fact that we're the only team in canada plays a huge role in that and so i'm actually curious like if they were ever to expand like let's say like bring another team back to Mm -hmm. vancouver for example i'm curious how that would change things but as of right now i think that that's the biggest factor when it comes for you know the attachment that people have to this team if you can speak for a moment for the entire country of canada which i know you can does anybody miss the grizzlies Honestly, I think only people in Vancouver. I do. I don't think anyone. <laughs> I love those jerseys, man. I want them. Yes, back. the jerseys are awesome. The jerseys were dope. The jerseys were dope. <laughs> I, I like that this is now, this is the second point in the conversation that connects in some way to Greg Anthony in the mid 90s, who was, I believe, the Grizzlies' first expansion um, player drafted. So this is just the Greg Anthony show. Um, Mark, what about you as far as, I guess you could approach the question a lot of ways you could from Indiana or from Cleveland or just anything that you notice um, about about fan relationships with teams either in those markets or maybe something you see around the league that you think is interesting or changing one thing that's really changed in our generation I feel like has been uh, and I don't I will immediately say too I don't just think it's because of player empowerment like that always gets thrown out there by older people that and not just to shit on the old but you know it's it's part of my part of my nature um like i i think people just have an attachment to players because players have been with how social media has grown and the way that media representation has grown with as tv has expanded over you know the last couple of decades uh, to where it is now i should say like you know like being able to see on league pass every single night that wasn't a thing in you know the early 2000s you were either seeing something on espn on local television or bust and um, you know, having the accessibility to, to watch these players every night and to, to see what they're doing on social media and to see how they interact. Like, um, I think that's changed how people follow the NBA. Um, like, I'm definitely like, I mean, you can go in my closet right now and I have jerseys from like 15 different teams. Like, I just, I love players. 
And part of that too is because I just am weird and I would go back and like, I didn't, I didn't really watch the NBA as much when I was, you know, like before I was in high school, but I went back and I watched, just watched a bunch of old games because I just, I like doing that. I don't know. Like sometimes I just want to watch Ray Allen play basketball when he's in Milwaukee. Um, But then as far as teams, it's interesting too. Like I think with the Cavs uh, being in Cleveland, like I still live in Cleveland now, uh, it was really rocky without LeBron. Like I think when LeBron was was here, uh, his first time around, like the the way that the, I mean that the city supported the team was huge because just none of the team. I mean the Cleveland baseball team had some really great runs in the late '90s, early 2000s kind of died out for a while, came back for a little bit when I was in school and they've been okay. But, you know, other than that world series run from them, that same year that the Cavs won the title, just none of the teams in Cleveland have been to that same level. Like I do think, I mean, Cleveland's just a little bit of a different sports city that it's, I do think that not, not to just hype it up, but I do think in terms of like, you know, seeing fan representation throughout the city, like it is very real, but once LeBron left, like that, that first time I remember I sat, like probably eight rows up for like $40 to watch a Jared Jack Dion waiters starting backcourt. And <laughs> that same seat next year when LeBron came back was like $2,000. So like you see the difference. Like I remember I, I sat there, I was against the bulls. I'm pretty sure. And um, actually, no, it was against the Raptors. Cause I remember Jonas Valanciunas was wearing a face mask that game. Um, and I, I don't, you don't really, forget I don't a thing like that. that. Yeah. How can I forget that? Um, but like, I mean, the stadium's like half filled and stuff like that. And it's different now. Like, I mean, it it just depends on how good a team is with Indiana. It's hard too, because I think there's kind of been a, uh, it's less about titles and more about, you know, having the opportunity to get one. I think Mm -hmm. like Indiana's just never been in that place over the last seven or eight years, uh, ever since Paul George broke his leg. It's just never been the same. Even, I mean, unless you look back at that 17-18 that team that was really fun and almost beat LeBron in the first round. Mm-hmm. They've just never been a team that really seems to have a next step. And I think, you know, we've seen that all throughout this last week and a half in the news, obviously. Um, but I think that's re- really ended up with a lot of fan apathy. Like, I would say Indiana has one of the smallest Twitter bases on NBA Twitter in terms mm-hmm. of fan representation that comes through in the city too. Like I haven't been in Indianapolis much, but you know, just in talking to people who are around there, um, some of my friends who are, who are there work with the team, there is a lot of general apathy uh, for that team. And there's a lot more interest in, like there's a ton of love and interest in basketball, but okay, I'm going to go watch Jaden Ivey and Zach E be the best team in college basketball until they lose two games in a row as the number one ranked team. But like, exactly. Like you can go, okay. I can go to Hinkle field house, one of the best environments in the nation and watch Butler play. I can go to, to go watch IU because they're actually good this year. Like there are just so many opportunities to watch basketball that frankly is better than what the Pacers put out. So people don't watch the Pacers care about them the same way. You mentioned shitting on old people, and I want to do that now in an unorthodox way. Um, if the three of us are lucky, you two more than I, um, you'll be old someday, and I'll be old someday, and we'll be the old people that people are shitting on. And so I wanted to ask, and you both, I think, follow the WNBA, WNBA enough that we can do it for both. I want to know if there are any things that you hope when you're old people will look back at our time and righteously like shit on it. And I'll give you examples of what I mean. 
you ever see like in a movie or especially um animated shows do this a lot like where the crowd has like a mob mentality and like the whole crowd is like doing one thing and then one person says something magical and the whole crowd together will like suddenly reverse and like it doesn't work that way in real life but it does like in the movies you know what i'm talking about please tell me you know what i'm talking about mark is not saying anything mark is this not have you, have you not seen this or know what i'm talking about can you repeat? I think I'm not really following. You know how sometimes in a movie, it'll happen usually in comedies, like yeah. in an Adam Sandler movie, the whole crowd wants to come like, you know, burn down uh, an office building because they're upset oh, about right. something. And Sandler will like get up and give a little speech. Yeah. And now they all decide like not to do it. There's just this mob <laughs> okay, mentality. Yes. You yeah. know what all I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I want the people to know because this is an audio pod. The look of complete like what the fuck <laughs> on Mark's face as I was saying that. I want to make it the new heading for like the Jacobin better <laughs> side because it was it was like the look of the season. He was just like, yeah, I don't know. Was- so here's my point about that. Um, I find one thing that I hope the future looks back on us now and is like, how could you possibly have have lived that way? And the WNBA sense is, I'm, I'm sorry, in the NBA sense first, is I find it really despicable that still in a league that is celebrating its 75th year, that the fans are still treated, I think, unfairly by the league and the players in terms of, and you saw it, I think the pandemic and the bubble exacerbated this this recognition. The fans are not simply like an ornament of the game. Like while there are these big TV deals and there are all these other factors that go in, like everyone noticed if the fans are not there, it's not the same product. It's not the same league. It's not even the same thing to watch at home as a viewer, if there's not actually people there. And yet, every time there's a collective bargaining agreement, the only sides involved in negotiation are the players in the league. And at least in the sense, I feel like every time in a franchise benefits financially, the fans don't get a part of that. So if Golden State benefits financially, they can leave Oakland, go across the bay, build a glorious arena, price out certain fans, raise prices, all this stuff. And the fans have the success of, hey, my team is good. But in a material sense, I would like to see a a future where fans in general are, I don't know if unionized is the word, but are are somehow more recognized and organized as a collective that deserve that is a part of the growth of the league. They're not, they're not an appendage to it. Like they drive it, they're a part of it. And to a lesser extent, obviously, than the players, I think fans deserve some part of the, the up and down. That's something I, I hope 50 years from now, fans are not just seen as like people that you can have wear all the same color shirts in the playoffs. And when everything goes well, you raise the prices. And when things don't go well, you keep prices the same, but there's no benefit. Um, do you have anything on your mind when you think about the game today, whether it's the actual gameplay or whether it's the way any any group is treated in the game or the way the game is talked about or, or framed or whatever, Anything that you hope down the road will be done with this? This is not something that my children will have to talk to their children about. I actually want to like speak to your point a little bit about the fans because I find that interesting because it made me think like the Raptors were back home this season for the mm-hmm. first time. And when tickets first came on sale, they were ridiculous. Like they were so expensive and you could tell that they weren't really marketing towards the fans. They were marketing towards, you know, all the rich people, business people. 
And so it only took like two weeks of being terrible and fans bullying basically MLSC for them to actually start to lower prices to regular numbers again. So mm-hmm. I actually really like that point. And like that, like it really made me think of that because the Raptors were in Florida for basically two seasons. Mm-hmm. And you know, like to me, it seemed unfair to everyone that did stick with the team throughout that time. And you know, your your big storyline this year was we're back in Toronto. And then you're charging people's rents for yeah. tickets. And I found that, like, I found that very unfair. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that point is very interesting. Yeah, I um, well, I have multiple, so we can go back and forth. But um, one of the things that I'm, like, just kind of playing off that, that I really wish we could get to is just remembering this is basketball. I think that's a really big problem that that we have in media and just, I think we've seen it from PR too, in general, like, mm-hmm. um, and I, 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 th- I see it from both sides, like, especially in looking at, uh, you know, the way that things have been talked about with uh, canceling, having journalists in, in the locker rooms, like that obviously hasn't been a thing since the pandemic started, but I really have not liked the discourse from both sides. Like, I think there's been a little bit too much comeuppance from, some people in media who are like, oh, you know, you're taking away our access, this and that. And I do think access is important, but I also think there has to be better ways of making things more human because I think in some, sometimes in our efforts to, to build something up, we just make it way more than it has to be. And I think it's to, to our detriment a lot of times. Like, I think in some, some ways it would be better if we, uh, not that we treat the game in a more simplistic way, but that we are just a little bit more human in how we do things. I really think that's missing right now in some ways. But also go off uh, on something that I'm tired of. Uh, Like, I don't know. Like, this is just a smaller thing. But, like, Nikola Jokic, man. Like, and just appreciating great players. Like, I think a really great example was raised yesterday on the new NBA show on ESPN. I think it's NBA Countdown. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, like, Zach, I mean, it's the Zach Lowe with a really shitty haircut trying to, you know, talk about how Nicole Jokic should be in the MVP conversations. And it's less about that to me and, and MVP conversations and more about, like, just recognizing how good players are right now. I think that there's so much of an effort to try and crown somebody as this or that instead of just highlighting cool things. Uh, I, I would like to see that more instead of trying to pit guys one, one against one another. Like, I, I obviously, you can't just, like, throw away – award debates and races like those are real things people enjoy those and i think there's something important tied to it but i also just think that we need to be better at at recognizing how good these guys are while it's happening instead of focusing on oh well this is what they could be next year like i wrote about this yesterday i think there was such this 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 massive rush during the bubble and, and as soon as it ended too be like, well, I mean, Anthony Davis is the best player on the Lakers now. Is he the best player in the world? And not to say that it wasn't warranted based on on-court value, but more just why didn't we just talk about Anthony Davis put together one of the best postseason runs that we'd seen in, in, in a decade? That's where I looked at it. And I think that, you know, we've seen this year and the way people have talked about him, and he very clearly has, has lost a step. Um, I'm hoping that it'll come back. But I, I mean, I felt comfortable writing that because it's been two years now and he's not been the same player. And I think a lot of that is just fatigue, you know, dealing with the injuries he's dealt with since the bubble. 
And it just really frustrates me because we put this guy on such a pedestal after that. And granted, like he has not played well in some areas, but I also think, like I mentioned, I think it's the real reasons. It's not just like that. He's not working hard. He's not doing this or that. And I think I just really struggle with that when, when we, we expect this guy who is playing at the absolute pinnacle to, to stay there and to be even better. We miss out on some really great moments. And I think you could say, I mean, like I wasn't there for all the Knicks games, obviously, but like going back and watching, like when you and I did that pod with Chris Herring last year, how, how was I already last year ago? But uh, wow. Um, <laughs> but like going back and watching, I think I watched like, you know, 20 games in prep for that and going back and watching mm-hmm. so many Knicks games and reading articles. And I was like, how do people not remember Patrick Ewing and Reggie Miller as these great guys? Like they were incredible, man. Like watching them play, on the biggest stages in the way that they did. And then seeing how, you know, they, they were, weren't, weren't talked about, like, I don't know. That's something I really hope changes in time because that stuff just doesn't last for that long. And I think it's, especially with, with LeBron, like, and I'm sorry, I know this is a really long rant, but especially with LeBron and with Steph to a degree too, I think we almost have taken greatness for, for granted because LeBron has just been able to do it for so long. And Steph, I mean, obviously now he's, getting up there and has been doing it for almost a decade at this level, but that's just not reality for most guys. Mm-hmm. I want to pose the same question with the WNBA. And um, again, just to give an example, like I'll, I'll throw mine out there, which is I'm really hoping that, you know, whatever 30 years from now, um, like one of the great mysteries, I guess it's not a mystery because, you know, misogyny answers a lot of questions, but it's always striking to me. If you study the NBA like at all, or any any professional sport particularly that's been around a while, they were all like, the NBA in particular was desperate to get on television in the 1960s. It was not a TV league. They could not get deals, um, you know, with the national network. If you know the name, um, his name is Maurice Podoloff. There's like an award or a trophy named after him. He was a commissioner in the 60s. The only reason the owners hired him was he had connections to television and they wanted to get into television. Like, so there's, there's been over half a century of recognition, at least that you need media exposure for your sport to grow. And I think because misogyny somehow in the 21st, 21st, 21st century, it's only this year that I began to see cracks of admission that like, wow, when you put the WNBA on television and you give it, exposure and promotion and an opportunity to connect with people. Wow. Ratings are exploding. Maybe the same principle applies. I would love to see 50 years from now that even the sooner, the better to stop pretending that women's sports should be subjected to some standard that no other sport has been subjected to like that. And I've had guests on. I had a really excellent guest on once named Sydney Umeri. Um, she played, she writes for, for SB Nation and a few other sites, oh, but she played, she played Division One at um at Virginia, I think, and then transferred to Kansas. And we had a wonderful conversation. And and part of what was really enlightening about it was she, she was able to get like there was a question I had asked her about Steph at the time, I think it was Mark Jackson had complained that. Stephen Curry's game was inspiring too many kids to go out and like shoot half court threes. And it was ruining basketball because kids were going to miss out on fundamentals because of Steph Curry. 
And I asked Sydney if she had that concern. Um, I can't remember the name of the guard now. There's a guard at Iowa who's a wonderful, wonderful, like, like, like Steph level deep shooter from 30 feet and out. And I asked Sydney, like, is there any concern in the women's game that if these long distance shooters become much more popular and prolific, that it's going to warp fundamentals in the women's game? And her answer, I thought was, I, I think it was the most exciting, like brain explosion I had all year where she was like, no, it's not a concern at all because the women's game is still so fundamentally different than the men's game that like you can't get to that level if you're not fundamental to begin with. Like you can specialize in the NBA. You can be Kevin Knox and only be able to do one thing and you can make millions of dollars and maybe a career out of it. Her point was like, that's not the reality in the WNBA. If you're going to get to that level of your profession, it's a given that you're probably going to have all of these things like already you know, mastered. And that was a nice moment, okay, of here's someone educating me to an actual difference, an actual reality that's different, but I'm so tired of, and not to reduce reality to Twitter, but like, look, there's a pandemic and I'm basically married and have a child. I don't make friends. I don't have any life like outside of this, this little room you see me in. Twitter is like as much socialization as I get. So I am excited to see what people think on there. I'm not excited to always see, you know, the avatars with the divorced dad starter pack with like the Oakleys and the backwards hat and a truck. Like, I'm not interested in hearing your jokes about the WNBA. And I really do feel like the more people watch it and the more that it's exposed, the more it's going to be ridiculous to people in the future that at this stage of our social sophistication, they still had to go through all this crap. So that's mine. Mark, I know that you follow the WNBA as well. Do you have any thoughts, either X's and O's or presentation or reception of something that you hope will not be a part of the future of people discussing the WNBA? Or something maybe that you hope there'll be more of or something that you're not seeing that you hope to see? I just want to see it be you know, pushed even more. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of like you mentioned, uh, like we saw how well it did on TV. I thought part of it was, I mean, this was the first season I really got into the WNBA, like watching multiple games a night and keeping up with everything. Um, and I don't plan on changing that. So it was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. getting basketball year round, a good thing, believe it or not. But I do think as much as we like to bring it on, um, in some ways, like I, I do think part of it's on the NBA, but I also think, like the league has not done a good job of branding itself, in my opinion. Like I think that there needs to be a much bigger push of some of the stars in the game, even just looking at and part of it is on on ESPN and broadcasters in general. But like, I mean, they would like use I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game where they used like a player who wasn't even playing that game to to market the game and stuff like that. And like I remember you and I would send tweets about it back and forth, you know, like I just think it feels very half-assed in how they're marketing themselves sometimes. And I don't mean this as the players. I mean, on the league, I, I do think that it, at least in, in this last year, it really has felt like I saw more people talking about the W than I had before. And a lot of it's going to come from, from more coverage. Like I think there are a lot of really great writers who are trying to, to, to write about the NBA. I mean, not, not the NBA, about the WNBA or, and, or are doing it, but like, there just aren't a lot of big publications that are selling out to do it. And I want to see more of that, but like, I I just think 
it's it sounds simplistic but like just start fucking doing it i'm sorry for swearing on your pod but i'm tired of like the constant back and forth conversation well they don't make enough money they, they don't do this they don't do that i'm like because we keep doing we keep pussyfooting around and pretending like oh well once changes get made it'll be fine okay well you have to start doing them like start watching the games it's really good i'm not going to even try and like like there's nothing to complain about it's so it's slightly different from the men's game but i love it like i love that there's difference in it it's just like watching euro league uh and seeing that there are differences there in a in a similar way like it's much more post oriented honestly i think the passing is better at times like there's there's a lot of takeaways you can have watching it and you can't view it through the same lens but like i think that's where the problem is we keep trying to look at it through this same lens and like believe it or not if you don't change your prescription for, for 10 years, you're not going to see shit out your glasses. So change up. It's, it's that simple, in my opinion. Like, it is an awesome product. And when you start treating it like it, instead of acting like it's second class. It's funny. When you don't make people jump through hoops to get coverage, then the viewership will be there. Like, I'm just thinking now, like, I want to watch college hoops here in Canada, but none of the broadcasters here put any of it like you'll get like the duke versus gonzaga game like every now and then but that's it and it's always the men and the only time like mm-hmm. the women get any coverage is during march madness and mm-hmm. it's during the final four like the end of the tournament and it's just stuff like that and you saw that well look at that like sportsnet tsn like all these different places they're like okay we're gonna give coverage to wmda this season and surprise surprise people watched it because at the end of the day it's basketball and you know the gender shouldn't matter and you know for me like to answer your question i think that we shouldn't be taking breadcrumbs and just like praising it you know like every time like we get like one little thing about the league promoting it like just accepting it and like oh my god like we're giving these women breadcrumbs you know and i think for me like for example today I think USA basketball came out and named Sue Bird the USA basketball female player of the year. But if you watch the Olympics this year, you know well that she should not have been the one to get chosen. And she got chosen because she's that token symbol that if you don't follow the NBA, you know still who Sue Bird is because they constantly compare her to LeBron James, which like drives me insane. Um, <laughs> not like even they did remotely it, similar. So it's just like like yeah. they did it in the 2020 season when she when they won when the storm won their right. championship and they're like she has four championships just like all of that stuff it's like no like this is not what we're doing like and i think that that kind of stuff is harmful to the league like, like you said mark like they're not marketing themselves properly mm-hmm. and you know i think once that changes like just keep putting pressure on them you know hold yourself up to a higher standard than just you know us being happy with a diana tarazi or a sue bird like that's it no like there's more talented women in this league that deserve their flowers um and i think candace parker is one of those people where is actually really helping bring more attention to that kind of stuff and you know like i i that's what i want to see like i don't want to just see you know the same three players on bleacher reports page or espn's page mm-hmm. and just be like okay this is a WNBA. no this is not the WNBA. this is a very small part of it and so yeah i just want to like hold people to their standards, especially when it comes to this league. I also would like to see more of men's league, certainly in general, take a page from the WNBA players as far as social activism goes, because there is zero, zero contest between which side 
is actually involved and which side, like you say, is breadcrumbs and, you know, whatever is safe. Um, Also, Mark, I want to let you know specifically that our producer asks us to ask her about four F-bombs a show. So you still have room (laughs) for a couple more. I have one question left for you two. If you want to get them in now, get them in now. Um, And this is just kind of a silly way to end it. But assuming that a team that you cover or are near, so Raptors, Pacers, Cavs, cannot win the title this year. Who, not as a, not who do you think will win? And not even who realistically do you hope would win? But like, if your fairy godmother came along and said, you tell me what team you want to win, I'll make it, doesn't matter how ridiculous it is, just in terms of satisfying your own desire as a person, this team will win the title. And it can't be our team? It can't be your team. Mm-hmm. We're in basketball reference right now. Um, <laughs> that's so hard. Imagine a fairy godmother coming up to me and be like, "Which team do you want to win the championship?" And I can't say the Raptors. Like, but you're like, "This is what I get, really." Like, yeah, I was like, "That's like a- number one form of torture." <laughs> um, I'm trying to think about which team. I mean, I have enjoyed the majority of teams this year. There have been a couple of teams where I have not really enjoyed watching. I'll, I'll give you my answer so you can look over while you think okay. about it. I'm going to say the Sacramento Kings. And I'm just going to say it because they are so devoted and so tortured as a fan base. And in the sense, like, they're not even like, like the Knicks have had terrible seasons. I think two of the last five seasons, the Knicks won like 17 games. That's terrible. But when you're very terrible, you tend to get a very high pick. And like New York at least has the delusional allure that like, well, we're a free agent destination. Someone will come here one day and save us. Sacramento is never bad enough to get a, a great pick. They're never good enough to win. They're not a free agent destination. Like, I'm a Nick fan, and I feel bad for Kings fans as far as their <laughs> ownership goes. That's how bad it is. So I just would root this for this for them because I really feel like this would just be such a, a, a wonderful spiritual experience like for the planet. Like, the Kings winning would just... Would bring world peace. What's that? Would bring world peace. I'm literally picturing like sunlight bursting through clouds. (laughs) Like that's literally what I imagine would happen if the Kings won. And I would like to see that. So I'm going to call Sacramento Kings. Um, Either one of you have another team that you would go with. Yes. Okay. So since I can't choose the Raptors, I'll choose the closest thing to it and say the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Um, Bulls. Why? Because they have a bunch of former Raptors on their team. I would love to see DeMar win the championship. I just, mm-hmm. I feel so bad about the way things were left in Toronto with him. Um, I think like the fan base truly loved him. I truly loved him. And, you know, although like I wouldn't change anything because we have a championship and I right. like the championship. Um, <laughs> like I, I would love, I, I would love seeing him succeed somewhere else. So I, I like, I, I think the Bulls would be my pick. I know they're going through like, bunch of health problems right now but a lot of teams are so hopefully they work things out um i don't know that would be nice to see yeah mine uh i thought through multiple teams but i think if i could bring it down to one be the minnesota timberwolves um just because uh a i mean they have been one of my favorite teams to watch this year I still don't think that they're particularly awesome. Like, I think this is the best team that they've had since Jimmy Butler was there for that one year. But 
I look at it, A, the fans. Uh, I normally don't really care too much for fans, if we're being completely honest, because I think Phantom is such a double-edged sword, and maybe I'm too unfair to the to the blunt end. But uh, in terms of that fan base, like they are so just saying deprived would be uh, maybe a step too far. But like, I don't know. I think what's so tough about that team is that they've always had like little flashes that make you go like, huh, maybe, maybe we'll be 500 this year. And then it falls apart. And then you look at it too. And I like D'Angelo Russell is not my favorite player in the league, but I think he's a guy who gets a lot of flack uh, for his game. And I think sometimes rightfully so, but like he really has, has, has changed, changed some of his approach, not offensively, but in terms of the way that he's impacted them as, as a leader, seemingly, um, especially on the court has been huge. Like I love Anthony Edwards, one of my favorite players in the league. I just love his personality and how he tackles things. And the biggest thing for me is just Carl Anthony Towns. Like I hate the way that we would talk about Carl Anthony Towns. Like he's the guy who always gets soft brought up with him, which is just, that needs to be erased from vernacular forever. But just with what he's dealt with as a person um, the last year and a half, um, I think sometimes we, we make things, bigger than they are through sports and with celebrities. But I mean, I don't think you can overdo talking about what Carl Anthony Towns has gone gone through as a person over the last year and a half. I think you can have qualms with him as a basketball player. I certainly do, but I just don't, I don't think there's another player I want to see succeed um, and, and get praise for being good more than Carl Anthony Towns, just because of, of how things have gone for him and his, his career in Toronto and, um, Toronto, Jesus, his career in, in Minnesota. Um, oh, we're manifesting getting too now. far okay, north. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, so I, I would pick the Timberwolves because they they've been. It would just be so awesome to see that team actually have that have that happen with with all the things that they've gone through. Okay. As we wrap up, I want to specifically praise Mark for waiting until the sixty first minute of the broadcast to announce that he doesn't really care for the fans. <laughs> that is going to go over very well with our audience. So thank you, Mark. Oh, so uh, <laughs> it's not that I don't care for fans. I did, I should have phrased that better. Please the blunt end I thought was a good read my way work and follow me on Twitter. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> like I care for fans, but I think yeah, yeah. You there, said it with this perfect. You're like I really don't care for fans. <laughs> that's too late. Yeah, that can already be clipped. So. Like the bubble for you was like the preeminent basketball experience. Just to a degree, yes. But <laughs> as soon as as soon as I saw, uh, I, I actually we talked about this on a podcast. Like seeing uh, seeing that first round series. Like regardless of how good the series was or wasn't, game one of Knicks Hawks last year was the best basketball game ever watched. Um, like I just remember sitting in my living room and like. That was like the first time where it felt like, holy shit, like this is basketball. Like mm-hmm. it's back. The vibes, the atmosphere was like awesome. Like I mm-hmm. normally don't really care about that stuff that much, but like watching that game, I was that I just I didn't even take notes. I was just like, I just want to watch this, just want to take it in. And uh mm-hmm. like fans are important. They are important. Just not as important as they make themselves out to be. Something. Ask him about his Seattle Storm fandom. <laughs> no, you don't have to because then you'll see a different side of Mark. <laughs> Mark, you're gonna have to tell us about this Seattle Storm thing. I uh, I am a Seattle Storm fan. Um, okay. I was very very upset with their loss uh, to the Phoenix Mercury. Good for them, but you know it is it is what it is. Um, I hope Sue Bird doesn't retire because she's still very good, despite what 
happened to her uh, against the, the Sparks late in the season. Um, she may have been crossed into oblivion. That's fine. It happens. She's still really good. Uh, Brianna Stewart hopefully will be back this year and ready to play. Um, and I just think Seattle basketball is the best basketball, you know, if we're being honest, uh, including the Sonics. Like if if the Sonics came back, I would be a Sonics fan. Uh, it's hard, hard, it's hard, hard for me to not not be yeah. into that. Like Gary Payton's one of my favorite players of all time. So I just want to point out that you said good for them, the Mercury, with the exact same tone that you said I don't really like fans. So <laughs> I, think I was very mean... upset about that loss. I <laughs> see that. Yes, he was. I Can just think confirm. that they that not as upset as a Liberty fan who lost by one point to them. Yes. but sure. You you constantly bring that up. I am aware. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I just think, and I'm very happy. I, if I remember correctly, they're changing the format up for the W playoffs this coming <laughs> year. Thank God. Yeah, the yeah. Storm were too good to be playing a a two-game series. Like, that team was way too good to have to play a two-game series against Phoenix. Like, I absolutely, I mean, not two-game, uh, a three-game series against Phoenix. Like, yeah, the best yeah. of three against Phoenix. Like, that was ridiculous. Like, no. Should have been, like, five, five or seven deserve better after having a 30 game season where they were clearly better than Phoenix the entire year. But I rest my case. You're seeing fan Mark come out now. It took have, 60 minutes, but it's there. this little audio graph that tracks like the volume and the whole show we've been <laughs> in the middle. Yeah. And as soon as Mark started talking about that, it went like up like this. <laughs> it was a tough season. <laughs> I am. Hey, I am also Queen is I think the, the second or third other Liberty fan that we've had on the show this year. So much respect to you. And um, my influence is strong. They've influenced a lot of people. You are, you're clearly one of the good ones. Um, <laughs> do either one of you have anything um, coming up that you want to plug in your work or other places that um, our listeners may hear you or find you? Yeah. Um, just follow me on Twitter at M Schindler MBA. Um, I have, I'm sure I'll have stuff coming up soon. Um, I, yeah, you can read my piece on Anthony Davis. That was, I normally do more film breakdown and in-depth looks at, at things. Uh, but I did more of a, just kind of heartfelt thing on, uh, on Anthony Davis that I would, uh, I'd love any feedback on or just for you to read it. So yeah, that's what I'll plug. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Krina MM and also follow the parlay because I have so much fun with them and, uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you both very much. Jonah is not here, but like I said, he will be next week. You can follow Jonah online at JonahB1793. And you can follow me at MMiranda613. Please remember to follow the Jacobin Sports Show. Recommend it to your friends at Jacobin Sports. Email any thoughts, questions, suggestions, or recipes to jacobinsports at gmail.com. Our producer is what your true love gives you on the 13th day of Christmas, Connor Gillies. That is all for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. And again, remember next week, probably around the 22nd or 23rd, we will have our annual first time ever yearly finale. Join us and we will talk to you then. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.